Very glad to see everyone this morning. We're very excited that you're here. If you're a visitor, we want you to know we're so grateful that you chose to spend your time with us in worship to God. And we hope that your time spent here will not be wasted in any way, but you have had the opportunity to worship your Lord and Father in the best way possible. I want you to know that I was able to spend a little bit of time in the past week uh, enjoying some of God's creation, seeing some very beautiful things. Really enjoyed the last couple of days of just going and seeing uh, a different scenery than we have here. But you know, this morning as I got up and as I came to the building early so that I could look over my notes and I was looking at the sky, it was gorgeous. And all of God's creation was so amazing and it came to life and it was all around me. And I thought, how could anyone not believe there's a God? How could anyone not look at this sky and be so very thankful to be alive one more day on earth? And to be fortunate enough to be able to observe those things, feel those things, smell those things, and know that God has blessed us in every way. And then as I was thinking about getting up here before you, you know, some of you never come up here and you don't realize what a beautiful picture God has given us that each and every one of you make up as the body of Christ. And sometimes I think it'd be interesting just to take a panoramic picture from up here so that those that don't stand up here could truly see how unique every individual is, how important they are to God and what the body of Christ is all about. It's an amazing thing. Doesn't exactly have anything to do with the lesson, but it hit me and I thought I'd share it with you. I want to talk on a subject this morning that is probably one that's been on many people's minds, especially lately. It seems like we've had some, some thoughts that have been expressed, not necessarily an entire lesson, but thoughts that have been expressed in this way and certainly something that has weighed on my mind. And I think it's, uh, it's a topic worth looking at and, and sharing with you this morning. You know, as we think about time and how time rolls on, and we think as younger people that life will never end. We don't, we don't say that, but we live it like that way. We do the things that we want to do, and we focus around the interests that we have, and we move very, very quickly when we're young. But you know, as time marches on and as we get into our middle age and we're trying to focus and we're trying to raise a family and we're trying to provide for a family, our life changes. And we realize so much of what we're doing is out of our hands. You may think you're in a job where you control everything around you. The problem is, you come in one day and it all gets wrecked up, whether it's from a boss or whether it's from the ones that are working for you or whether it's the ones that didn't show up. And you realize how little control you really have. And then as we get older, we look back across our life and we think about the things we wish we would have done. The things we could have done, the, the different directions in life we could have went, the places we could have gone. But we just didn't. You know, my grandmother, when she was older, she pined away about the one trip that she had wanted to make her entire life was to the East Coast. And she wanted to see it in the fall. 
and she wanted to see the trees as the leaves changed. She wanted to see the beautiful colors of God's hand. And you know, she never made time to do that. And I wish I could have done that for her. It was important to her. And there were many other things that were important to her and to me and to you. We all have things that we wish to do and wish to accomplish. And you know, many times we get to the funerals of those we love, those that we go to church with, those that we work with, and we learn things about people's lives that we may not have known before. We learn about good deeds that they did that we were unaware of. We learn about special interests that we never knew they had. We learn about involvement that they had with charities and other organizations that we may have been totally oblivious to even though we had known them our whole life. We learn about special skills that they had acquired and that they used either for the glory of God or for the betterment of those around about them or maybe to show their love for their families. And then we reach the touching moments and the fond memories of the family members and the way that they think of those folks as they move on to the great beyond. And so as I ponder those things, we realize that people move in and out of our lives all the time for many different reasons. And each one leaves us with memories. And as I thought about those memories and about many different folks that have gone on, I remembered of one who always listened to Scripture by tape in their vehicle. And I remember as a young man, as not even being in high school yet, and looking at that, I was impressed by that, but at the same time I thought, how dry all day long to listen to those cassette tapes till they were wearing them out. And I thought, I love to listen to the Bible, but maybe there's a better tape out there with a better voice. You know, I just didn't like the voice on the tape. But you know, as I got older, what I realized is that the voice didn't matter. It was the love for the Scripture. And the love to hear what God wanted and what God expected. And they regularly started or finished sentences with, Lord willing. And you know, as a young, a very young man, I thought, well, of course the Lord's willing. But they were coming from a different perspective, one from Scripture. And they considered Scripture to be important and a part of their everyday life. And it had an impact on me, those memories of the things that they did. You know, I also remember one that has gone on before who gave me candy as a child. And I thought about how ungrateful I was because it was butterscotch. And I just didn't really like butterscotch very good. But it was there every service. Every service. And always a kind word a sticking of the hand in the pocket, and a shifting out of a butterscotch or a peppermint. And you know, I think about that now, and I cannot go anywhere that I don't see a label with butterscotch that I don't think of that person. And they've been gone for many, many, many years. They had an impact on my life. And they have something that I remember. And you know, I've, I've often thought it was cool because there's been a lot of people want to be the candy man since then. And I, and I think, you know what? 
there will be people sitting in these pews, young people, that when they're nearly 50 years old like me, they're going to remember what kind of candy you gave them, whether they liked it or not, and they're going to remember what a great person you were because you took the time to care about them and to be a part of their life and to meet one, one or two of their needs if you could. And so I ask you this morning, what will you be remembered for? I think it's a very important thing to consider. And I think we need to focus on ourselves as individuals and consider our own state and the way that we live and what we do for the people in this building, what the people we do for in our community, and the people we do that live in our world. What will they remember us for? Will they remember you as a shrewd businessman that they always felt like got the better of them? Will they remember you for the great amounts of wealth and assets that you piled up? Will they remember you for the funeral that, they did, that you did for someone in their family? Will they remember you for the meal that was brought to their house when they were in dire straits? Will they remember when you simply sat with them and held their hand in a time of trial? What will you be remembered for? What will I be remembered for? So I ask you to consider that this morning. I want to look at some things in Scripture that maybe we can draw a little bit from, and maybe I can leave you with some thoughts on that. In 2 Kings, the second chapter, starting in verse 19, we read about Elijah. And it says, The men of the city said unto Elijah, Behold, I pray you, the, situa the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord saith. But the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and he cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elijah, which he spake. And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and, even as, and, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city, and they mocked him. And they said unto him, Go, thou, go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back, and he looked on, <clears throat> looked on them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and there came forth two she-bears out of the woods, and tear forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. So we have the story of Elijah here. And these men, wanted, they wanted to go out earlier in this chapter and go and find Elijah. And they wanted to search for him because they needed his help. And Elijah said, don't go. He knew that the, the Lord had taken Elijah. And he, he said, don't go. And they said, we've got to go and we've got 50 valiant men and we'll go and we'll search for him on the mountaintops and everywhere. Who knows where the Lord left him, but we're going to find him. And so Elijah finally said, go. And guess what? They came back empty-handed and they had the same problem. And the problem was the water was no good. The city was good. It was a pleasant place. Things were going great. And they had this water that was poison. People had died from drinking it. 
the land was barren because of it, they had a problem that they needed solved. And so Elijah finally went, and with the Lord's help, and all credit given to the Lord, he cured the water issue for this city. Now after that, he had some issues with some young kids making fun and giving a hard time and doing things that they shouldn't do. And uh, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And a couple of she-bears came out of the woods and destroyed them, tore them to shreds. Now there's a lot of different things we could take from this, and there's a lot of different angles, so I want to ask some questions. Would this be the way you would want your child to be remembered, that they died making fun of people? Ridiculing and backbiting and saying things that they ought not about other people? That wouldn't be good, would it? Would you want to be remembered as the parent that had a kid that acted this way? Would you want to be the kid that died with a life that ended with that going on? So how do you think Elijah was remembered here? How would Elijah want to be remembered? He would want to be remembered as the one that took care of the city's water problem with the help of God with a container of salt. You know, if somebody came to your house and said, I'm going to fix your well and I'm going to throw this big old bag of salt down your well and then your water problem is going to be cured in the house, you'd look at them and go, what? You ain't putting that in my well. You're crazy. But you know, with the hand of God... All things were possible and it, it did cure the problem. So certainly Elijah would have wanted the good, the good remembrance. But what about the parents of the children that were killed? What did they remember Elijah for? Wasn't too good, was it? Wasn't too good. Even though God was with him. Even though God had a hand in that. The remembrance was different, wasn't it? You know, sometimes when we try to help, we may not make the right decisions. When we get involved in the ugliness of life and sin, and we try to do the very best that we can to help someone, we may not make all the right decisions. How will you remember those that tried to help? As the one that screwed things up? or the one that tried to make things better for you and yours? Very important questions. How do you want to be remembered as an individual? And how do you remember others? In 2 Timothy, the first chapter, I'd like to turn over there and look at that for just a moment. First Timothy 1, verses 4 and 5. I'll get there in a second. I apologize. 2 Timothy, the first cha chapter, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to back up to verse 3. 
Paul said, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. <clears throat> when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So here's Paul. And he's writing this letter and he's letting Timothy know he can't wait to come and see him. And he lets Timothy know the memories that he has of him, the fond memories that he has of him. And we see a young man that's remembered because of his faith and the, face of the faith of his mother and his grandmother. You know, I suppose there's no more relief and happiness of growing older than to know that our children have lived right that our children have put God first in their family, that our children are raising grandchildren that are learning about God and learning to be followers of Christ their entire life. Nothing better, nothing more joyous to the Spirit could any man have than to accomplish this task knowing that at least that the small hand that they had in that was successful. And I suppose there's nothing more painful than when that doesn't happen and we feel responsible. Even though God teaches us that we're all responsible for our own actions, we feel that loss and that pain. But here we see a young man that was remembered for the good things, not only of, for himself, but for his family. And I want to point out this morning, as we talk about this subject, that a lot of people may be the first one in their family to come to the Lord in Christ. They may be the first one, the first generation of their entire lineage that is set in a pew and has worshipped God. That has come and wanted to make things better. How do you want to be remembered? And those that are trying to do that, are we too harsh on them? Do we have too high of expectations when we get what we think they ought to be ahead of what God thinks it ought to be? Or do we consider the situation that they've been in and where they've come from and what they've accomplished for their lineage, for the people that are watching them? Very important stuff. Things that we take so much for granted every day is what people are watching us do, the actions that we take, the way we behave ourselves in public, the, way we, the things we're involved in. All of these things make up what people see of us and the church. You know, if you are the first generation in your family this morning, I say to you, hold on. Do everything you can to make your life a success with the Lord. Be able at some point to be a grandparent and point back and say, I am so glad that I made the decision that I made. Don't allow the Satan or anyone else to take that from you, as it will be one of the greatest memories that you will take to your grave is that you were successful in helping someone else with their, with their walk with God. Now let's look at Acts, the ninth chapter. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 36.
It says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lida was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose, and he went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Here's a lady we read about in Scripture. Hundreds and hundreds of years after she's gone from walking upon this earth. And what was she remembered for? She was remembered for her good works and her alms deeds. It was remembered that she cared about people and desired to share what she had with them. It was remembered that she used her talents to help her congregation by making and taking. And she spent her time with those that mattered most to her. Sound familiar? I can tell you at many different times in my life there's been food hauled to my house. There's been prayers made on my behalf. There's been some of you that have offered to let me work at things that I wasn't very good at in order to gain skills. There were those of you that supported me in many, many different ways as I went through life. And I have fond memories of every one of those. But you know, this morning we're talking about ourselves and I wonder what you remember me for. What are the things that I have left with you? And what have you left with those that are sitting beside you? What will you be remembered for? And how important is that to you? I think many times we get so caught up in life and we get to hurry in so quickly. I used to hear people say, stop and smell the roses. I thought that was silly. You walk by them, you smell them as you go by. You know, sometimes we're at such a rapid, uh, rapid pace, we don't smell them at all. We don't even know they're there. I was talking to Jared about cotton this morning. There's some cotton across the road from my house, and I've watched it all year, didn't think a lot about it. I've heard about how all the cotton's behind and this and that, and I come home from being out of town, and man, there's flowers right out the top everywhere. Beautiful. Just like cotton's supposed to be this time of year. It's finishing up, finishing blooming. And I thought, well, you know, that may be a pretty good patch of cotton after all. But I'd seen it all year, and I really hadn't considered it. Really hadn't even stopped to look at it. What about the important things in life? Are you looking at those things? The important things, the spiritual things. The children that you have influence on, whether they be 50 years old or whether they be a day old. Are we considering those things this morning? And how is our part being played out in that? Let's turn over to Esther, the seventh chapter. <laughs> Esther chapter 7 and verse 5. 
Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he, and that does presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen, and the king arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his, for his life to, the, to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the, into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? And as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. And then the king said, Hang him thereupon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Now most of us know the, the story of Haman and Esther, the queen. And we know how that... He Esther was a, a young maiden and she was taken and she was prepared to possibly be the wife of the king and she eventually was. And Mordecai was out by the front gate and he, had, he was the one that had raised Esther. And over the process of time there was a plan to wipe out God's people put in place by Haman. And we're reading about the situation where that came to a head and Esther was forced to put the truth in front of the king and let the chips fall where they may. So here we have a man that was doing well in life, was being promoted by the king, but he was always wanting more. And as we read through these chapters, we read how he would tell his family of the fortunes that he was amassing, the king was giving him, the more authority that he was giving him, and that it looked really good for him to eventually be the leader of the country. And as he was trying and attempting to decide that he couldn't stand Mordecai, that he wanted to wipe out Mordecai and all the people associated with him, he eventually his plan was known. And Esther stood up and took up for her people. And Haman was killed for the evil in his heart. You know, he... Haman has been remembered for hundreds and hundreds of years for his attempt to exterminate God's people. There's even a game named after him if, uh, if the history of the game is true that I read about. The game that we played when we were kids called Hangman. And that was simply what it changed to from Haman's name. And you know, if you, as you went through and tried to guess the letters of the word that you were supposed to be figuring out and each time they would draw one, one arm or one body, one leg or the rope going up to the gallows and then as you ran out of guesses you had a picture of a man hanging in the gallows and that was Haman. What a horrible way to be remembered hundreds of years after you're gone. You know, I can remember in my own family, there was one individual and I never knew him. He was dead before I was born. But you know, we'd go to the family reunions and they'd talk about this guy. 
and he'd make moonshine. He was a moonshiner. He had a car that didn't have any brakes on it. And he'd go hooking down the mountain and he'd just screech around. And I mean, there was even a story about one time a wheel fell off his car and he nearly went off the cliff and he banged it back on there because he couldn't be late because he had his moonshine run and he had to get it there. And, and they would tell this story about this guy and he had a crazy name that I won't mention and I just thought, man, how did he ever get that name in our family anyway? And, you know, he was remembered for moonshining, driving like a crazy guy, no brakes on his car. And do you know that's the only thing I know about him? Ken folks. And that's what I know about his life. He was a wild child, moonshining, crazy driving, no brake guy. Man. And he's been gone, I don't know, 50, 60 years. And my kids don't even, probably didn't even know he existed until I just mentioned that because the people that told those stories are not here anymore. How are you going to be remembered? How am I going to be remembered? Look at Esther, the fifth chapter, and I want to notice one particular aspect of this. In Esther chapter 5 and verse 10, or verse 9, it says, Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. Now this is before he got into the trouble we just read about. He thinks he's got everything going the right way. And he's just happy. He got up that day. Everything's good. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and he called for his friends and Zeresh his wife, and Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did not let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zeresh his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in, mer in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. And he caused the gallows to be made. Isn't that something? The very gallows that ended his life, he ordered to be built. But I want to notice all the wonderful things. He brings all his people. He says, man, I got all this. I've got all this family. I got all this money. I've got prestige. I've got authority. I'm even getting to go eat with the king and the queen. And he said, man, it don't, none of it matter. It just don't matter. Because that guy's sitting over there in that gate and I cannot stand him. And I can't stand it that he won't stand up and respect me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that kind of attitude that everything you had didn't matter because of this one individual? I would submit to you that a lot of times when we get sidetracked in life and we have something that's tearing us up, it's generally one thing. Something specific that's happening in life something that will not go our way, something that has gone wrong in, in our way that we're frustrated with and we can't do anything about, it's usually one thing. And what happens? Our whole day's ruined. 
Everything's wrong. It's just a terrible day. And we forget about that sunrise we talked about. We forget about that last breath of air we just drew. We forget about all God has done for us. And we lay it all to the side and we focus on that one pitiful thing that is just driving us crazy. Now maybe you don't have that problem, but I'm going to tell you, I do. I have to really focus when it gets like that. And not just go throwing everything to the wind and decide it's all a wreck because I can't get this one thing lined out. What will we be remembered for? Certainly Haman did not have a good way. And I would submit to you, don't give up all that God has given you because one thing don't go your way. Don't do it for a day, don't do it for a minute, and certainly don't let it wreck your life. And realize that that one thing is just one thing. And it's mingled in with a million wonderful things that you have that God has done for you and has given you. Don't let it sidetrack your entire life. Now let's look at Matthew, the third chapter, in verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and his leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come out to his his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And it wasn't his baptism, it was... Well, yes it was, I'm sorry, I read that in my mind differently. O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. How was John the Baptist remembered at this point? I would submit to you it depended on who you were. Those who were diligent in their search for God and were very familiar with the teachings of the old law, saw him as the forerunner of Christ, just as they should have. The one who baptized them, the one who introduced them to Jesus Christ, they were excited to be with him that day. They were there celebrating as they were baptized for repentance. They wanted to be right with God. They were looking for the right thing. What about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What did they come out there for? They had a much different view of John the Baptist. He was a man who had lost his mind. He was a troublemaker. He was someone who was causing people's mind to be changed in the wrong way. He was very dangerous in their mind. So here you had a situation where John was doing exactly what he should have been doing, and yet he had two groups of people remembering him for very different things and for very different ways. How did John the Baptist want to be remembered? 
We know he wanted to be remembered as a follower of God, a forerunner for Jesus Christ, a messenger to God's people. And he did not care what kind of day the Pharisees wanted him to have. You know, sometimes we just have to have a good day no matter what everybody else wants, including ourselves. You know, sometimes we, we get up in the morning sometimes and we just think we don't want to have a good day. We just, we're determined to be in a foul mood before we drink the first cup of coffee. And then we need an attitude adjustment, don't we? We need to remember it's a day that the Lord has made. And we need to be happy in it. We received some admonition about this in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I ask you this morning, are you running the race that you want to be remembered for? You know, there's times when people of the world may not appreciate our race. There may even be times when Christians may not appreciate the race that we're running. And I want to submit to you that none of us know all of the trials that each of us are going through. There are things that happen in our life and we just don't even know where it came from. And we may not even share that with anyone. With anybody. Maybe not even our own spouse or anyone but God in prayer of what we're dealing with. I ask you this morning to be patient with people. Have empathy for their situation. And remember them for the good things. And not for the trials and tribulations that are so easily besetting them as it does us. People may ridicule, they may make fun, they may even be angry with us at times. Because they don't think we are what we should be. And maybe it's from their perspective and not necessarily from God's. Look at 1 Peter the 4th chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. He said not, not to the flesh and the lust of men, but to the will of God. You know, you set a huge example for others when you abstain from participating in sinful acts. And I'm just going to tell you as young people, this is when that influence is the greatest. When your classmates and your, the people that are around you are doing things that they should not do, and you know that it shouldn't be, and you abstain from that, you may be ridiculed. You may even be, have people angry at you. But you will also find that there will be people that will step across that line and stand with you because they were not able to do it on their own. We have a huge influence when we refuse to be involved in things we shouldn't be involved in. We have no idea what kind of impact it might make. 
So remember that when those trials come. When those hard things are before us. Stand firm with God. And allow your influence to be for the positive instead of giving in to the, ne the negative. Shine light on darkness and do the right thing. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, as we come down towards the end, I'll be through in just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. When we get down to the end of our life, is this how you and I will be remembered? If it's not, then we need to make changes today. But I want you to notice that if you read on in this chapter, some of the most grievous things to Paul's soul happen, or he tells us about them later in that chapter. Read that when you have time. You know, we think he's at total comfort when he says these things and everything's good and then you turn the page and he lets you know all of the mess he was dealing with and the people that were making his life miserable when he knew it was coming down to the end. And yet he was able to find the faith and the hope in what God had told him. And he stood strong with God. And that's a theme all the way through the Bible that when God's people that were making influence and doing the right thing, and when they were chastised and ridiculed and persecuted by the world, they held on to God and they survived the things that were besetting them. And I want to encourage you today, hold on. Hold on with all your might and allow God to move in your life. So I ask you, how will you be remembered if you were to walk out the door today and die? And you know, we don't ever think that's going to happen. And I was in a vehicle with someone else driving just a day or two ago. We came up to a light, the light turned green, and we took off, and here comes a pickup driving 90 to nothing. And I yelled, look out, stop. And we stopped as this pickup flew right by the front of my pickup. And he was going fast enough, somebody would have been hurt, seriously. And I thought, you know, that close. And we could have been going to a funeral. Could have been mine, could have been the one driving. Could have been the guy that was being an idiot driving like that. But somebody was going to get hurt. We don't know when the end is going to come for us. We don't know when our last breath will be drawn, and we don't know the circumstances that it will happen in. But we know that it will come. So I ask you this morning to consider your life. Is it what you want? And do you know what you will be remembered for? Or do you have ex expectations of that? If it's not, it's not too late to be who you want to be and who you could have been. Today is the day to start over. Today is your day to start the race that you want to be remembered for. What will you do with the time that you have left? I leave the lesson of the morning with you. I hope that you will consider these serious things. I hope that you will realize that the lesson was out of love. 
And out of introspect of my own life and where I'm at, and I pray that each and every one of us live for God every day and that we get to spend eternity with Him in heaven. If you have a need that the church can help you with this morning, we want you to come forward. We want to pray with you and for you. If you haven't started that walk with God, we want you to start it today. There's no better time than right now. We would love to allow you to come and be baptized, be buried in a watery grave of baptism, to rise and walk in newness of life with your Lord and Savior. If you have one of these needs, won't you come as we stand and sing?